Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then, following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping had been on his head and was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stopped she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, Why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing that he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascended to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. When it was evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hand, put my finger in the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, the disciples were indoors again, and this time Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. This passage that we're going to be looking at, I'm going to be looking uh, primarily at the last half of the chapter this morning. I wanted to thank our team for helping uh, lead us through that just kind of a dramatic way, hearing those different voices kind of come in on that story, kind of help to just hopefully drive that home, make it come alive uh, just a little bit uh, a little bit more this morning. But um, we're going to be looking, like I said, at the last half of that. Before we get into the text, though, I just wanted to know, um, do we have any Marvel fans in the house? 
Any Marvel fans? Uh, is the, like the comic books or the movies? This, and if you're wondering what is Marvel, uh, it's the superheroes, okay? So Cap, don't think Superman. That's a whole other universe. And if you're a Marvel fan, you get really mad at the whole DC universe. So we're talking Marvel, like Captain America, Iron Man, all those people. So we got a few, a few fans in there? Okay. On the count of three, just shout out your favorite, your favorite character. One, two, three. Yeah, Captain America is my favorite. Not the movie, the character. Okay, the, oh yeah, you like the bad guy. That's right, I forgot about it. That's my daughter liking the bad guy, everybody. Liking the villain. Got to work on that. Um, but um, how many of you like the serious Marvel fans? You're not just on the movies, but you've read the comic books. Okay, not, not, not any serious fans uh, in here. Maybe you're watching on the live stream. I didn't really jump on the Marvel bandwagon right away. Matter of fact, I didn't see hardly any of the movies in the theater. I had not seen any of the movies at all until, and this is going to really make some of you who know Marvel, the universe, cringe. Uh, I didn't really jump on the bandwagon. My first experience with the Marvel universe was when I went to see Avengers Infinity War. Okay, so like by that time, everything is pretty much all over. And if you haven't seen the movies or if you're still watching the movies, I'm going to apologize for the major spoiler alert that I'm going to give you in my opening illustration this morning. Uh, if you need to tune out or something like that so that you don't hear what I have to say uh, through this illustration, that's fine. But uh, my first introduction was when I went with my brother and our youth, our, our student pastor, Ryan Blackburn. We went over to see, to see it at, uh, at Movie Tavern over here, uh, over here in Brandon. That was back in the days when you could actually go to a movie. Um, and uh, so we went to see Avengers Infinity so for those of you who are not really familiar with the Marvel Universe and all that, Marvel is basically like, a, a, like, a, like this library of 20,000 movies, it seems like. But it's actually like 20, I think, 19 or 20 or something like that. And, you know, there's, there's, there's movies about, you know, the Hulk, and there's movies about Iron Man, and there's movies about Captain America. And then sometimes in the movies, they all come together, and, and their universe is just kind of, it takes place over all these different worlds and stuff like that. And sometimes they come together. But what you find out is through all of these movies, there's this one general timeline that's going on. There's one general story that's taking place. And you come down to the final two movies, which is Infinity War and Endgame. So I'm at the very tail end. And at the end of Infinity War, and some of you know what happens, but what happens is the big bad guy, Thanos, he's got this huge gold boxing glove, and he's got it blinged out with all of these stones and stuff, and he gets the last stone finally. Apparently, he's been going all over the universe looking for the stone so he can control everything, and he gets that last stone, and he puts it in, and all of a sudden, like, people start just, like, disintegrating. They just start disappearing, you know? Like, like, like all of a sudden, they're just, they're just kind of gone. They vaporize, and they turn to dust, and they kind of float away. And it's like half the people in the whole world, half the superheroes are just gone like in the blink of an eye. And I, I kid you not, I'm sitting there in the movie and I'm still trying to catch up with everything. I don't know what's going on. And I look around and all of a sudden I hear nothing. There's total silence in the theater except for sniffling and crying and people are blowing the nose and people are like literally crying. And I look over and my brother's crying and Ryan's crying and Ryan saw it four times already and he's still crying. I'm like, what's going on? And then the movie finally ends. And as you leave, there's this eerie silence as people are walking out. And all you can hear is the sound of popcorn boxes hitting the bottom of the trash can and sniffling and crying and, and all of this stuff. And it was just like the most eerie thing that I'd ever seen in my life. And we get out. We get outside finally. And finally, the silence breaks. And I'm thinking, is no one going to talk? You know, I'm still sitting there in bewilderment. I don't know what's going on. And Ryan finally says, he goes, that has to be the saddest five minutes of film history. <laughs> I look at him and I'm like, dude, I just got, I have no idea what's going on. My brother looks at me like he's going to punch me. Like he hadn't looked at me like that since we were kids. He's like, what is wrong with you? Do you have no soul, man? And I'm like, what? He's like, it's sad. All those people are gone. And I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. I'm just not that invested. And he's like, what's wrong with you? It's been a decade of these movies and it's, these people are gone. And I'm like, yeah, I, I got to be honest. I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen any of the movies. And they look at me and they're like, dude, watch all the movies. And I'm thinking, invest that much time of my life into something I know that I'm not going to understand at the end? So I finally do, and I watch it. And I got to tell you, after watching through all of the movies, I've become invested in these characters. You know, I'm like, big Captain America fan, love the Iron Man, love, love all the stories that go on with it. Good always seems to triumph over evil, but evil keeps on rearing its ugly head, but good finally triumphs. And so when I get down to watch Infinity War the second time, after knowing these characters, I'm in the floor crying like a baby. And then comes Endgame. You all know the Marvel fans, you know Endgame, right? And Endgame for two and a half hours 
It seems like two and a half weeks. But for two and a half hours through that movie, the whole movie is basically all of the ones who did survive, the half of the, 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 the superhero force, the Avenger force that did survive. They're just trying to get on with life like five or six years have passed and they're still mourning and they're grieving. They've got major survivor's guilt and they're wondering how the world can go on. And then finally at the very end of the movie, they figure out we're going to finally come and we're going to take Thanos out. Because Thanos comes back with his golden glove and he's like, I'm going to finish it off. I've only done half the job. I'm going to finish it off. So they have this huge battle at the very end of the movie. And it's crazy, man. I mean, there's stuff going on. Superheroes are flying everywhere. It's always amazed me. Superheroes take so many hits that would just obliterate an entire population, but they get right back up and keep on going, right? But finally, everybody is down for the count, and the only person standing there is Captain America standing against Thanos and his entire army. And then there's that moment. When all of a sudden, portals start opening up through the sky. And all of a sudden, all those people that had vaporized come through those portals, they're back again. And then they knock out Thanos and they, 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 they basically destroy him and they destroy everything. I'm sorry for the spoiler alert there. But they destroy him and everything is returned to normal. Everything is made new. And I got to tell you, this feeling of just like, yeah, victory and peace and all of this stuff. I'm like, yeah, it's finally made right. You know, and the reason, and you're sitting there probably, if you're not a Marvel fan, you're sitting there wondering why in the world is my pastor taking Easter Sunday to talk about Marvel? Here's why. Because God has pre-wired us, I believe. He has put something with inside of us that craves and longs for a resurrection story. Inside our human spirit, there is something that just knows that something is broken. Something is not right. And when you look around the world and you see things happening, and it looks like, for lack of a better word, it looks like Thanos is winning. You look back into the scriptures and you see the portal of God's truth. And you see that there was a man named Jesus who died on a cross. And just when it seemed like all darkness was about to consume everything, three days later, he came out of a tomb. He busted out of that and he put sin and death and Satan in the ground. Why does that wreck us? Why, does that, why is that something that had, why is that a story? Why is that an account that has survived for thousands of years? Because within us, our creator has put something that craves and longs for a resurrection story. And let me tell you something, Hollywood can put a lot of good resurrection stories out there with a lot of good screenwriting and a lot of good CGI. And some of you are sitting there, I will never watch a superhero movie. I don't see what you're saying. Yeah, but some of you are Hallmark fans, aren't you? There's resurrection stories in Hallmark too. You know, when the love's about to be lost and he's about to go away back to his big city job and he's going to leave that little vineyard that you guys fell in love putting over and you run back to the, you run back to the airport and you finally find him before he steps onto the plane and, and you finally declare your love and everything's made right and all of a sudden the love that was going to be lost and was dead in the grave has now been resurrected, right? On a vineyard or on a peach farm. or what. It doesn't matter what it is. It can, be, it can be a pig farm. I don't know what it is. For some reason, when you leave the big city, you find love in the country. I don't know what it is, but we love our resurrection stories. We love knowing about the power of the resurrection, and God has given us the greatest resurrection, and it's not a story. It is a resurrection event. It's not a story. It's not something that a screenwriter sat down and somebody put on a movie screen for us. It actually happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus came out of the grave, the only one who ever conquered sin and death and the grave. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one that we worship today. When Jesus was crucified, when he drew his last breath, it ushered in some very dark days for his followers. They sold out everything to be with Jesus. And all of a sudden, in the matter of a few hours on one Passover, on one Passover weekend, he's gone. The son of God who said, I'm going to restore everything is crucified by a conspiracy that takes place between the Jewish, the Jewish religious elite and the Roman authorities. And they see him die just like anybody, any common criminal. And they're left wondering, what did I give my life for? And they're disillusioned and they're doubtful and they don't know what's going to happen. And then as we come to our text this, this, this morning. We see the first Easter evening, what took place. We read and we saw what Mary Magdalene experienced when she went to the tomb. And John and Peter, which I love the fact that John picks on Peter. And it's like recorded in history forever in the book of John. He says, John outran Peter, right? Because John was the youngest guy. He's like, yeah, I was the most in shape disciple. Just want everybody to know. Every Easter, everybody's going to be remem remembering that John was cut, right? <laughs> 
Peter gets there, he's huffing and puffing. John doesn't go in, so he's like, man, I can let you have this one. You can go on in. You can go on into the scary tomb. We don't know who's in there. And he goes in and he finds the linen cloths that are lying there. And he comes out and it's that moment of victory. And, but here's the thing, they're wondering, is it true? Did somebody just steal the body? What has happened? And the angels say, he's not here. He has risen. And then Mary Magdalene is still sticking around, wondering what's going on. And Jesus, I love this, when he says to her, Mary, when he just calls her name. And immediately she realized, this is not the gardener. This is my savior. The familiar voice that she'd heard for three years, he'd come back. All of a sudden, the darkness, all of a sudden, the fear, the doubt, the anxiety is gone. Why? Because in the presence of a risen Savior, all fear, all darkness vanish. That's the beauty of Easter. So Jesus, let's look at what happens after the, after the tomb. Let's look at what happens. All the disciples are back in this room. And in verse number 19, let's look at this. When it was evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came and he stood among them and he said these words. Let's read these words out loud. Peace be with you. This morning, I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Christ is risen. Peace be with all of us. The message of Easter gives us power, gives us victory, gives me a great message to preach. But the beauty of it is that it can bring you peace in your soul. Father, I pray that you would speak this morning. Holy Spirit, have your will and way in this time. Let me not stand in the way of what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Peace be with you. As a preacher, <clears throat> I love to preach on Easter Sunday. But I both love it and I both hate preaching on Easter Sunday. I love it because what greater message can you preach, man? It's the greatest message ever. Everybody's pretty much in a good, new, uh, a good mood. Uh, kids are all hopped up on sugar. You know, you got, you got the ham or the turkey that's in the crock pot at home. You know you're going to go home and have a, good, have a good dinner. The only pressure you really have to preach on Easter is that you got to get done so people can get home before, the, before lunch burns, right? I love the message. It's a great message. And everyone loves to hear the message of the resurrection. But I also hate preaching it because sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. We get used to it. We get kind of underwhelmed by it, right? The other thing is, how many times can I preach the same thing with freshness? How many times can I preach it to where people are thinking, man, I think I heard that one last year. Or it's the same old story over and over and over and over again. But here's my question. What if it is the same story over and over again? What if it is all about the resurrected king? And that's the thing. The gospel is all about the resurrected king. All of scripture, all of the gospel, everything we do points to this moment. Jesus is alive and he lives so that you may live in him. So what we see in our text is the first and only Easter sermon that Jesus ever preached. Jesus didn't have to preach another Easter sermon. This is the first one and the only one that he preached. And here was his introduction. Peace be with you. He didn't give some cheesy introduction uh, tying in a superhero movie with, with all of it. He just literally started off and he comes in hot. He's like, peace be with you. Now, what greater object lesson can it be that you're the one who's resurrected standing there before a captive audience in this room looking at you like, where'd you come from? He's like, peace be with you. Peace always prevails in the presence of Christ. At the moment when his disciples needed it the most, they probably doubted him the most. Jesus showed up. And church, that's something that we cannot forget today. At the moment you need him the most, he will show up. He doesn't have to show up because he's already there. He's been there the whole time. Peace always prevails in the presence of Christ. Two of the most famous stories and the most famous seasons from Scripture, Christmas season and Easter, we see this great pronouncement of peace. The angels said when they came to announce the birth of the Savior to the shepherds, they said, peace on earth and goodwill to men. So they started the story. They started the plan there by saying, Jesus has come to bring peace. And now Jesus standing there before his disciples in this room to these beleaguered disciples says, peace be to you. It's the fulfillment of what got started on Christmas morning. Jesus has brought peace. Not only has he brought peace, not only will he instigate peace, he is peace. And because he lives, peace is available. So here's the big idea this morning. If you get nothing else, out of this message, get this thought and get this truth and let it really sink down into your soul. 
The resurrection of Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Without the resurrection, you don't have the gospel. Without the resurrection, with only the crucifixion, you have a wonderful story of someone who did a nice thing for us, but it doesn't do anything for our future. The cornerstone of our Christian faith is the resurrection. It proves that he is Lord. It proves his power over death in the grave. But it also proclaims a deep, abiding, and personal peace for all who live in the power of his resurrection. And some of you are sitting here and you're shaking your head at me right now. And I know some of you are probably commenting right there in the Facebook stream because you know that peace. You know that peace. You're shaking your head from, as one from experience. But some of you are probably sitting there thinking, man, I don't know. I don't know, man. I've heard Easter messages. I've heard about this peace that comes and I've just not experienced it in my life. My prayer this morning through this message and through what we're going to look at, what happened for the disciples on that first Easter Sunday night will be something that takes place within your spirit today. Because if you know Jesus, you can know peace. If you don't know Christ, peace will always be like out of reach. You can try to fabricate it and you can find something that'll substitute for a little while, but it's always, just like, just like those superheroes in Infinity War, it's always going to disintegrate. It's going it's to just float away. Only Jesus is that abiding peace for us. What kind of peace am I talking about this morning? First of all, it's the resurrection gives us a peace that comes from a kept promise. It's a peace that comes from a kept promise. Everybody knows what it's like to be promised something, right? What's the biggest promise that was ever made to you? I can't remember. The biggest promise I've ever made in my life here on earth, this earthly promise that I've ever made, was when I stood at the altar so many, so many years ago now. Feels like yesterday, sweetheart. It was so many years ago. And I promised that I would forsake all others and that I would love and cherish Stacey Erlane Smith. And then I gave her my name. It was the greatest promise that I've ever made. It was the most intense commitment that I've ever made in my life. And it's the most intense commitment to keep through my entire life. But there's a peace that comes over. And she made that same promise to me. And the promise that she made to me as I trusted her is the peace of a kept promise. And every day we stay together, there's a peace that comes over because it's a promise kept. But here's the problem with humanity. We break our promises, don't we? We may have great intentions. And, sometimes, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that to, to build up to you. I, I still love you. Still keeping that promise. All right. We make those promises, we intend to keep them, but sometimes things stand in our way. Jesus made a promise to us. The Lord made a promise to us in scripture that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Jesus promised that in three days he would come again and he would resurrect from the grave. He gave a promise and Jesus keeps his promises. See, the disciples were disillusioned after Jesus had died. Because they went all in on him. They left their fishing boats. Matthew left his tax collecting tables. They all left lucrative careers and they basically became poor nomads traveling around following the son of a carpenter who said he was the son of God. And they began to follow him and learn from him and live with him. And they went lock, stock, and barrel all in on Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, things turn. I mean, think about how fast everything turned. On Palm Sunday... Just a week before the resurrection, Jesus is riding into the city of Jerusalem, into God's city, and everyone is gathered around. They're praising him. They're shouting Hosanna. They're recognizing him as the Messiah. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're one of the disciples, you're thinking, man, this is what I got into this for. They're getting it. And then in just a matter of a few days, they're crying out, gathered at Pilate's, at Pilate's courtyard, and they're saying, crucify him. And you're like, what happened? Everything just turned like this. What happened? They're disillusioned. Most of them went into hiding. Only John that we know of is recorded to be, one of the, to be the only disciple that was actually at the cross the moment that Jesus died. Where was Peter? He was out, you know. He was out denying him at his, at his trial. They all abandoned him. They were disillusioned. They went into hiding, and they're probably thinking through their life. They're like, what have I done? What has happened? And what they do to Jesus, what are they going to do to me? This is why the Bible says that they were gathered in a locked room for fear of the Jewish authorities. So in our text, they're all gathered back together after Mary has come to them and said, Jesus is alive. A couple of them ran out to see it. And everybody's gathered to get together, all but Thomas. And by this point, they know the tomb is empty, but they're still a little bit unstable. 
And Jesus' appearance fulfilled the promise that he made. We see that Jesus comes in and he stands among them. Jesus' resurrection was the fulfillment of promises that were made about the Messiah, dating all the way back to the Old Testament. These guys had been steeped in Jewish tradition and in Jewish law and in the prophecies of looking for the Messiah. The moment they saw the Messiah standing there, risen before them, they knew he was the one. Jesus standing in the room that night with the disciples was the fulfillment of a promise that he personally had even made to them in John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, in one of his private times with his disciples, one of the more intimate times with his disciples, he says this in verse number 16. He says, in a little while, you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. So that's like double talk. And they're thinking, what in the world's going on? But in verse number 20, he says, truly, I tell you, you will weep and you will mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Jesus promised them more than once, Look, I'm going to be gone, but I will come again. I'm going to die, but I will raise again. He told the Pharisees, you destroy me, and in three days, I'll raise again. I'll rise again. Did you catch this, though? He says, you'll turn our sorrow into joy. That's the peace that comes from a promise kept. That's the peace that comes from Jesus having made a precious promise to his, to his followers and knowing that he will keep it. And church, I want, to, I want to encourage you this morning on the authority of God's word and on the power of a risen Savior. Jesus is, was, and always will keep his word. Amen. Always. He's always has been a man of his word. There's not one promise that our Savior has made. There's not one promise that has been made about our Savior that has not been fulfilled. Did you know that statistically, it is nearly a statistical impossibility for all of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah to have been fulfilled in one human being? Yet, in Jesus Christ, every Old Testament messianic prophecy was fulfilled in the life and ministry and the work of Jesus Christ. It's almost, it's, 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 it's in, the odds are infinitesimal. It's like one to a gajillion. It's almost nearly impossible for that to happen. Yet Jesus fulfilled every one of them. The only promise that we're still waiting on is for his return for, for his children. And you know what? Based upon his track record, I'm kind of persuaded to believe that's going to happen too. And you can be too. See, the gospel is a fulfilled promise that screams peace to our troubled hearts. And there's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of things that will trouble our hearts. There's a lot of things that break our hearts. But the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings peace, peace to that. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know that he holds the future. He holds the present. He holds the past. Life then becomes worth living because he lives. Because I'm not living it alone anymore. I'm not living it in secret. I'm not living it in, under some cover that God can't see. God sees me and Jesus walks with me. The gospel is a fulfilled promise. The gospel screams about a savior who died and rose again and lives today to keep the promises he's made. When he promises, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, he keeps his promise. So it's a peace that comes from a kept promise, but the resurrection also gives us a peace that erases all of our doubts. It erases all of our doubts. So if you're anything like me, you strut a little bit more on Easter Sunday. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Is it just me? I strut a little bit more on Easter Sunday, man. You know, I puff my chest out a little bit more, man, because it's resurrection Sunday. It's like every other day you almost think that like Satan's got his way. And the Bible says he's kind of the prince of the power. He's kind of the prince of, of all the things that are going on right now. And so you kind of feel like you know Jesus is, is alive. You know that's but there's still stuff you're dealing with, right? Easter Sunday comes, it's like boom, he's alive. Well, he's alive every day. He's alive every moment of every day. And, and, I, you know, and I primp a little bit, not because of the new clothes, not because of any of that, but because of the power of Jesus being alive. But you see, the first Easter wasn't like that. There wasn't an Easter egg hunt. There wasn't Sunday dinner. There wasn't any of that. Actually, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of doubt. There was a lot of anxiety. See, in verse number 19, it says they were locked in that room because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities that they would come. If they could kill Jesus, what are they going to do to them? Thomas, we see later on in our text, Thomas doubted that Jesus had actually resurrected. Even after the other disciples saw it, he couldn't believe their testimony until he saw proof himself. So look at verse number 25. 
It says, the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. So a week later, the disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. That's the second or that's the third time we now see that phrase, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. And Thomas then responded to him, my Lord and my God. Now don't miss how awesome this is. Okay, let's look back at this again. What did Thomas say to his friends that he would need as proof that Jesus was alive? He said, I would need to put my hands, I'd need to poke my finger into the, the nail holes, and I'd need to put my hand in his side, which is actually kind of gross when you think about it. Right? But he said, I need proof. I don't need to see it. I also need to touch it. I need to see it myself. He said, I need to touch the nail prints. I would need to stick my hand in Jesus' side. Now, look what Jesus offers to Thomas the moment he sees him. He says, Thomas, go ahead and stick your hands in my nail prints. Go ahead and stick your hands in my side. He didn't know that. The disciples hadn't gotten with Jesus and said, hey man, here's what Thomas needs. Jesus is an omniscient savior. He knows exactly not even what Thomas was saying. He knew what Thomas was needing in his heart. Thomas got exactly from Jesus what he needed in order to believe. And when that happened, G Thomas didn't need to do it. All we see, Thomas didn't do it, right? It just says he, he hears what Jesus says. And at that moment, his heart is filled with peace. His heart is filled with confidence in his Savior. And he says, my Savior and my God. His doubt immediately turns into worship. Why? Because Jesus met him with exactly what he needed. The peace had just pronounced on him, consumed him to the place of worship. The peace that Jesus had pronounced on him consumed his soul and erased his doubts. The other disciples, and we, we, give, we, give, Thomas, we give Thomas a bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas, and you know, we think about him as just like this weak kind of follower. Thomas, if you look back in Scripture, he was one who was ready to lay down his life and like go into battle for Christ. So he's not necessarily a coward or a wimp. We don't know what Thomas was out doing and why he wasn't with them at that, at that first meeting or anything like that. But the disciples also needed proof too. See, look at verse number 20. After Jesus comes and appears to the disciples the first time, it says, after he said peace to you, he says, he showed him his hands and his side. So the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. See, they were doubtful too. Every one of them were doubtful. So before we get too down on doubting Thomas, we need to realize that just about every single follower of Jesus at that time doubted the resurrection in some way until Jesus appeared to them and brought the peace that removed all doubt. And church, I can tell you this, when Jesus appears in your life, it removes the doubts. And we'll go through seasons of doubt. We'll go through seasons of, not, of wondering, is God really who he promised me he would be? When life doesn't seem to turn out the way you thought, when you think that he hasn't kept all of his promises, when it looks, when, and when the enemy starts to tell you God is not who he says he is, look at how life went. If God was real, it would go exactly the way you wanted it to go. But he says, I don't promise you immediate deliverance from this world and its problems. What I do promise you is my eternal abiding presence in them. And he can only promise that because he's alive today. He can fulfill that promise of his presence because the tomb has been vacated. See, our souls will always wrestle with the reality of Jesus. Here's the lesson that we learned from the doubts of the disciples and the doubts of Thomas, that Jesus, that Jesus fulfilled all those doubts and he proved who he was to them. Here's the lesson that we can take home with us today is that the resurrected Christ can handle your doubts of him. A lot of times we live our lives thinking, if I'm going to be a good Christian, I've always got to be on cloud nine, and I don't have to have, I can't have any doubts. And if I have doubts, God's going to be mad at me. No, God is not mad at you. He invites those doubts because then your needs are exposed, and he meets you at that need. And he'll become more real to you than ever before in the middle of that. Jesus is the most problematic and divisive figure in all of history. What else would you expect of somebody that we literally divide our history on? Before Christ and Anno Domini in the year of our Lord, Jesus still today is the most problematic and controversial and divisive figure in all of history. There are people today who woke up this morning and thought that Easter Sunday is a fairy tale and they think that people who gather to worship Christ are uneducated. They're foolish. They're buying into a fairy tale. Folks, it's only when you come to see and know the risen Savior that you realize this is more real than anything could ever be. 
God's designed it so that each human soul has to reckon with his son. Every soul has to reckon Christ and who he is. We're all left to make a personal decision. Will he be my savior and Lord or will he just be another fairy tale out there? And mom and dad can't make that decision for us. Grandma and grandpa, husband, wife, no one can make that decision except for us. It's a personal decision. Will he be my savior and Lord or will he just be a fairy tale? We have to all make that decision. And here's the thing about the resurrection for us as a church. It makes our faith legitimate. Like I said, the resurrected Christ can handle our doubting him, but what, he can't, but what we can't handle and what can't handle doubting him is our eternal soul. We can't live in constant doubt of Jesus Christ because if we live and die in constant doubt or in constant rejection of Jesus Christ, we die an eternal death. The soul must reckon with Jesus if it will live. So ask your questions. Do what you need to come to grips with the resurrection of Christ because sincere Christianity has always welcomed sincere research. Always welcome sincere research. We cannot, as a church, be upset or be, or be uncomfortable or befuddled when people begin to ask their questions. Have the answer. Have the answer. The answer will always be him. See, Jesus didn't scold Thomas for coming with his doubts. He immediately offered Thomas what he needed for proof. Only after Thomas had come to the place of proof did he, did he then say, stop doubting and believe me. The proof is here, stop doubting and believe. See, many people say you can't prove that the resurrection actually happened. So on that, I would just point you to the countless number of people in ancient and in modern history who have tried to disprove the resurrection and gloriously failed at that. Why do I say gloriously failed? Let me just give you one example. A man named Lee Strobel, back in the 1970s, he was an investigative journalist at the Chicago Tribune. And an investigative journalist has to be naturally skeptic has to be naturally skeptical. And so he set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was sick and tired of hearing the gospel. He was sick and tired of hearing about Christians talking about Easter. He was sick and tired of what he thought Christianity was doing to culture. So he set out to disprove the resurrection. And through his entire struggle, if you read the book, The Case for Christ, it's basically his memoir on his journey to try to disprove the resurrection, and he failed gloriously at it. And in his efforts to disprove the resurrection, not only did the resurrection prove itself to him, but it turned him into a follower of Jesus Christ. There are so many others who have set out to disprove Christ only to fail gloriously at it and become gloriously saved. Because the living Savior is not concerned with our doubts because the living Savior is the real deal. It's the genuine article. It can withstand our questions. It can withstand our tests. It can withstand our doubts. It can withstand its criticism. What it's asking for is our faith. So when people say, say to me, you can't prove the resurrection is real, I don't have to prove that it's real. The Bible says I just have to believe that it is. That's where eternal life comes from. The resurrection of Christ provides a peace that erases all doubt. And then the resurrection also, number three, provides a peace that gives life all of its purpose. To the disciples, like I said, they'd follow for three and a half years. Their lives changed dramatically when they decided to follow Christ. They went from being fishermen to being fishers of men. Matthew went from being a hated tax collector to being a follower of Jesus Christ that was part of miracles that took place. Instead of people running when they saw him, they saw him running when they saw Jesus and him together. Their lives changed dramatically. But after he died, life seemed pointless without them. When Jesus died, they had to wonder, what now? Do I just go back to fishing? Matthew had to wonder, do I just go back and get my job back at the tax office? Life was going to be bland without Christ. But then there he was again. Look at verse number 21. Jesus said to them again, here we see again, what's that phrase? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, also I send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, then they are retained. So again, we see that phrase, peace be with you. And then we see Jesus say, As the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. Immediately when the resurrected Christ shows up, he gives them purpose in their life. Their purpose in life when Jesus first met them was to follow him. Now his purpose would be to follow as him, to go out as messengers for him, to become the sent. They were the called 
during his ministry, but now they are the called and the sent. Now, verse number 23 sometimes gets misunderstood. They're like, how in the world did they get to uh, forgive sins and, and, and do all that? This is kind of a roundabout way of just talking about Jesus giving them the authority to pronounce to the lost that they needed a savior. If you go back and you look at the ministry of Christ, every time someone was confronted with their sin, it was Jesus who delivered that message, not one of the disciples. It was Jesus. Jesus now was transferring that authority to share the gospel, to share conviction of sins with those who needed to hear it. Because he was about to ascend into heaven and he had a job for them to do to go and to share the gospel. See, Christ's resurrection for us today, church, means that life is, a more, is so much more than the here and now. Life is about way more than the here and now. The resurrection means that we have eternal life, but that's not all. If you got saved just to get heaven, that's not all it's about. Yes, we get heaven. Yes, we have eternal life. But we also have this glorious message of the gospel to share with those who don't yet know him. Everyone who came to know the risen Christ could not keep quiet about it. It makes me wonder sometimes when I think about how we see churches dying today and people being afraid to share their faith. It makes me wonder if we truly have the power and the peace of the resurrection inside of us because if we're not compelled to tell about the risen Savior, we're not lining up with his original followers. This is why I'm excited about the series that's starting next Sunday on the gospel to every home. That every church, that we've come together with six churches within our 40503 zip code to take the gospel to the doorstep of every home within our zip code. We've adopted 20, over 2,500 houses within the, the, steep, the shadow of our steeple here at our church, figuratively speaking, steeple, to take the gospel to their house. Why? Because we have a risen Savior. There's the gospel message that is vital and is necessary. But I think sometimes we get lulled to sleep thinking that the resurrection doesn't really matter. That people, if they're good people, they're still going to go to heaven. No, it's a risen Savior that takes us to heaven through his grace and his mercy. We find ourselves when we find Jesus. And church, my desire through the series that we start next Sunday is that we will be numbered among the sent. That we will say, here am I, send me. Here we go. We find ourselves when we find Jesus. A fulfilled life begins at an empty tomb. If you're spending too much time chasing after all these things, thinking they're going to fulfill, only to find out that they don't in the end, it's because you haven't come to the empty tomb. And an empty tomb will give us a full gospel to share. If it's just the message of the crucifixion, oh, it's a heartwarming story, but it doesn't give us victory. The empty tomb gives us a full gospel to share. And then as we get ready to close out this morning, the fourth thing that we have so that you can finish filling in that list and avoid the therapist's office this week is that the peace of the resurrection brings us a peace of pardon from sin and victory over sin, over death. The peace of the resurrection is a peace that comes from being pardoned from sin and victorious over death. If you were to ask people what their greatest fear is, they may tell you, I'm afraid of the dark. They may tell you, I'm afraid, I'm, me, I'm terrified of spiders. They may tell you, I'm afraid of my wife. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm afraid of my husband. They may tell you, I'm afraid of my kids. Just teasing. I love my kids. That's what they tell me to do. But the greatest fear that we all have that no one ever says because we know it's just kind of one of those things that it's just always there, is the fear of death. All of humanity struggles from a paralyzing fear of death. How do I know this? It's big industry to try to avoid it, right? How many of you have a gym membership? How many of you always feel guilty when you stop by McDonald's instead of stopping by, you know, Whole Foods? Why? Because we know that if I eat McDonald's, I'm going to enjoy life, but it's going to be shorter. Right? We always try to do everything we can to make sure that we live as long as we possibly can. Why? Because inside of us, there's this fear of it. It's a fear of the unknown. We all know it's coming. You can drink all the kale smoothies in the world, run every 5K, 10K, 1,000K, special K you want, but you're going to die. If I run a 5K right now, I'll probably die while I run the 5K. Right? And you're like, thanks for this uplifting message, Pastor. I, I, this is great. I come to church and you just basically tell me I'm going to die. No, I'm not telling you. Here's what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 9. Don't be mad at me. And just as it is appointed for people to die once after this, they'll be judged. 
So we know that our greatest, here's the thing about that. We know on the authority of God's word that the greatest fears that we have will one day be realized. There's no avoiding it because no one's figured out how to cheat death. Oh, except of course, Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus didn't just cheat death. He didn't just like, you know, pull a trick and escape the system. He defeated death. He kicked death's tail. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. We talked about through our Ten Commandments series all the way through that that we just finished. But thanks be to God who gives us the what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus didn't just cheat death. Death just didn't come knock at his door. Death knocked at his door and he rose from it. Don't miss this. Because John, and, and this is the whole reason that he wrote this gospel to begin with, so that you may know the power of the resurrection and trust him. Look at what it says in John chapter 20, verse number 30. Because the eternally resurrected Savior offers us all eternal life in him. It says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but... These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the whole point of Easter. It's the whole point of the gospel. It's the whole point of the reason John wrote his gospel. It's the whole point of the Bible collectively as a whole, that you may believe in Jesus, and by believing in Jesus, you may have life in his name. So we have wonderful hope on Easter. We have wonderful power on Easter. We have wonderful, wonderful victory on Easter. We also are given a personal peace from Easter. But it's a peace that you can only have if you bear his name. Do you know Christ as your savior? Have you called upon his name? You see, I don't get this eternal life by doing a song and dance down here that gets God's attention. And he says, oh man, that person looks worthy. That person looks talented enough. I think I want him in my kingdom. No, Jesus came to the cross because he wanted us all. God is not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance. And he said that if you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Like I said earlier, this Easter sermon is the easiest sermon to preach. And I would imagine for most people, it's the easiest sermon to hear. But unfortunately and tragically, I think it's also the one that's easiest to ignore because we've heard it so much that we think that we just come and it's just something that we do on Easter Sunday to take it off our checklist. How do I know this? Because if we truly got the power of the resurrection, if we were truly living in the peace of the resurrection, the world would be a different place. If we were truly living in the power and the peace of the resurrection, our homes would be a different place. Our churches would be a different place. Our Facebook posts would look a little bit different. Our social media presence would sound and have a different tone. The peace of the resurrection changes everything. Do you have that peace? So as we bow our head and we close our eyes and some music just begins to softly play this morning, as I said just a moment ago, Jesus is the most pivotal, most controversial, most divisive person in history because God has set it up that everyone must reckon with Jesus. My question this morning today for you is have you reckoned with him? Who is Jesus to you? Jesus came to his disciples one day when they, when they were following him and he had this massive crowd that had been following him and his popularity was growing but then one thing happened. Jesus preached a message that was hard for them to hear. And everybody just left. They, they abandoned him. And the only people that were left were the original disciples, were the 12 guys. And he turns around to him after seeing everybody walks away. And he says, are you all going to leave me too? And Peter said, no, we're not going anywhere, Lord. And he says, why aren't you abandoning me too? And he says, because you are the only one who has the words of life. They recognized that he was the only one that would lead to the life that they needed. Do you recognize Jesus as the only one? Today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, today is that day. Trust him as Savior. Admit, I'm a sinner. I can't overcome my sins on my own. My sins must be paid. That's why he died. 
That's why the cross. That's why he had to suffer the agony. That's why the gospel couldn't just be Jesus lived a nice life and he died and then he rose again. He suffered the torture of the cross because our sins are vile. And while Jesus was suffering that vile death, he poured out, God poured on the wrath of God all out on him and he paid the debt of our sin. And he did that so that we could trust in him and plead that salvation. And he lives today so that he can seal you for eternity in him to give you victory over that. And the Bible says that what we must do is we repent of our sins, we admit that we're sinners, and we believe that Christ died and rose from the dead, and we call upon that name, like John said. I wrote this entire book so that if you would call on my name, you'll have life everlasting. If that's you this morning, if you're watching today, or if you're in this room this morning, the Bible says that what we must do to call is just pray and say, Lord, show mercy upon me. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize my sins have separated me from you, but I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in your death upon the cross to pay for my sin. I'm trusting that you are alive today to be my savior, and I'm all in. I'm letting it all ride on you. I abandon all my efforts. I abandon everything that I know are gonna fall short, and I trust wholeheartedly in you. Save me now. If you'll pray that prayer, if you will ask Jesus to save you, he will save. That is one prayer that we know he will always answer yes immediately is the prayer of salvation. And in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to, uh, we're going to have a time of response. I invite you, if you don't know Christ, would you come today or would you go, if you're afraid of coming in front of people, there are counselors that are at the back as well that will pray with you. Let today be the day you trust Christ. But church, if you say, hey, I'm saved, but I just haven't been living with much peace, here's where the peace comes from. Go to the empty tomb, peer inside of it, just like Mary Magdalene, just like John, just like Peter on the first Easter morning and find hope and peace restored in the name and in the power and the resurrection of our Savior. He's alive. What could be wrong? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll have this way and you'll do as you see fit in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.